Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is April 27th, and our passage for today is 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Over the next couple of days, I wanted to cover chapters 34 and 35 because they speak of the last great king of the Judaic dynasty before the fall to the nation of Babylon. The scripture says that Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Now you can go back and read the story of the life of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, and then Ammon's reign and his death, and then Josiah beginning to reign as a young boy. Yoshiyahu is his name in Hebrew, Yoshiyah. The story is an interesting one because he had a young, tender heart, and that was because not only of the grace of God, but the people that the Lord put around him. Many, many lessons to be learned here. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And so that means that he reigned from 640 B.C. to 609. Now, tomorrow we will look at his death at the Battle of Carchemish, and it was a, an incredible thing that God let us have an insight into. He was not at Carchemish, but Pharaoh Necho was on his way to Carchemish to fight the Babylonians, to ally with the Assyrians. Josiah was an ally of the Babylonians at this time, and he went to Megiddo to cut him off at the pass. That's not theoretical. He wanted to cut him off at the Megiddo, the Arun Pass, that we will talk about tomorrow. But before we get there, I want to talk about Josiah and his godly tender heart. He became king and reigned 31 years in Jerusalem when he was eight years old. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David, not his immediate father, but his great ancestor. The scripture says he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. That means that he was focused on serving God, the God of his fathers. It says in the eighth year of his reign, that means he was 16, that he began to seek the God of his father David. Now notice it says, while he was still young. You see, at age 16, sometimes we think that we have the world at our feet and uh, nobody knows more than we do. The scripture says that he was still young. He was not even a man yet. He was not 20 years of age, but he began to seek the God of his father. What a wonderful sight it is. What a wonderful life it is. If you can serve God all the days of your life. Many times people will look at someone who sowed wild oats for years and decades and they came to Christ and they go, oh, what a witness they are. No, the greatest witness is those who have loved the Lord all of their lives. They've walked with God. They've kept a tender heart all of their days and they seek God while they're young. Here he was in his mid-teenage years 
and he was seeking the God of his father, David. And in the 12th year, that means he would have been 20, he began to clean up Judah and Jerusalem. Now, the Bible says the word that's translated clean up is the word to purge, but we all know what that means. That means that he began to clean up the place. He tore down the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images. He even had broken down the altars of the Baals in his presence and the incense altars which were above them. He cut down the wooden images, the carved images, and molded images. He broke into pieces. Are you getting this? The very thing, the very first thing God says, you will have no other gods before me. You're not to make any graven images. And over and over again, we have king after king having to tear down what someone has done before him that was ungodly. So much did Yoshiahu Josiah tear these down that he made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priest on their altars and cleansed Judah. That is, he cleaned up, he purged Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim. Now that's in the middle of the country. That is up to Megiddo. That's the Manasseh Forest all around Mount Carmel in that area. For those of you who have been in the middle of the country there in the Jezreel Valley. And uh, Ephraim, that's the area of Samaria, Shiloh, Shiloh. As far as Naphtali, now that's the northernmost tribe, the tribe of Naphtali that would cover Dan and all the area around Banyas today and over in the Hula Valley, the high mountains, all of that. He cleaned up all of those with a sword. Then he broke down the altars and the wooden images and beaten the carved images into powder and he cut down all of the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel and then he returned to Jerusalem. And in the 18th year of his reign, that means he would have been 26, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Maaseah, the governor, to the city, and Joah, the son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the house of his God. Now, that means he realized that the house of God had been let go. It had been in ill repair. There was a lot of deferred maintenance, as we would say today. And this is, it seems, the way it is. When churches and the people of God, whether it's the Jewish people with a synagogue or whether it is the church with a building we call a church building, or whether it was in ancient days, when the people's heart go away from God, they go away from the house and the meeting place of God because they don't want to meet in a place that represents God to them. They don't want to meet with people who represent the true and the living God. This is the way it always is. You can call it shame. You can call it conviction. You can call it whatever you want. I believe it's a little bit of all of the above. But when we are out of the will of God, we don't want to be around God's people. and We don't want to be around anything that represents God. We don't want to go to the church. We don't want to go even though we know in our hearts that God doesn't live in a building in this particular age and epoch in which we're living. Still, it represents God, and we want to hide away from it. That's why people stop coming to church. That's why people stop going to the synagogue. That's why people stop going anywhere that represents God. And so when they went in there and they began to repair and restore the house, they were given money to do all of that. And as they were doing it, uh, something happened that they weren't expecting. 
In verse 14, it says, Now, when they brought out the money that was brought in the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. That is, they found a copy of Torah. Then Hilkiah, Hilkiah, as we would say, answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Can you believe it? They went in and found the book of God. They weren't reading the scriptures. They weren't reading it publicly. They weren't reading it privately. The scripture says that they carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing, and they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord, and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. In other words, he started reading the words of Moses. Now, you know the words of Moses. More than likely, he was reading out of the book of Deuteronomy. And the reason is because the blessings and the cursings are there. It was about the land. It was about all that happened. Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy more than all of the other books of Torah. So no doubt this is a prominent book. It's the summary of the law, the book of Deuteronomy. And thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan's scribe, and Asiah, Asiah, a servant of the Lord, saying, Go inquire the Lord for me. And for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerned the words of the book that is found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that's written in the book. You see, Josiah's heart was tender, as we'll see, before God. And when he heard, now think about this. This is like the first time that he had really heard these words that are written in the law. That means... Yes, he had been taught what we would call the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. He had been taught a lot of things, but he had not read these words, had not heard them read. The reason is, obviously, the copies of the law of God were not on every corner. They were not on every shelf of a house, and they were hidden away. They were hidden away. When the word of God is hidden away, the devil will play. And that's exactly what he did in Judah. And so now the book of God is being spoken to the king. And the scripture says that they went not to a man, but Hilkiah, who was the priest, those that the king had appointed, they went to Huldah, the prophetess the wife of Shalom, and here's what they said. They spoke to her what they had found, what the king had said, that he had sent them to get a word from God from them. Isn't this amazing? This is going to kill some people because a woman actually prophesied. This is going to tear some people up. Then she answered them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says Yah, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants and all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah. In other words, God said, Now I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. By the way, he always does. Now God in his mercy might delay judgment, but that doesn't mean that he dissolves the judgment. 
No, he delays judgment, but judgment's coming. Judgment for sin is always there. People say, well, what about you and I? We're not paying for our sins. No, Jesus did. But sin has to be paid for. Either a man's going to pay for his own sins, which is eternal judgment, or he's going to allow the perfect Son of God to die in his place, to allow his death to be a payment for his sin. That is why Paul, the Jewish rabbi of the New Testament, said, But God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in our place. God said, Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands, therefore my wrath will be poured out on this place, and it will not be quenched. It's going to be poured out, and it's not going to stop. But listen to this. This is so much the grace of God. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire the Lord in this manner, you shall speak this to him. This must have been bittersweet because wouldn't it be wonderful if God said this about you and about me? Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have read. Listen to this. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself. Do you know the word humble yourself is always directed to the person to whom God is speaking? And in the Greek language of the Septuagint, that's the Old Testament, and in the Greek language of the New Testament, it is always in the middle voice. That's reflexive. That means God says to us, you humble yourself. Now, if we don't humble ourselves, that is our responsibility to do that. And being humble is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It means you're not the main person in the equation God is. If we will humble ourselves before God, God won't have to humble us. If we don't humble us, God will. This is what I've said about Nebuchadnezzar. It's what I've said about Donald Trump. And people didn't like it then. They don't like it now. It got Daniel in trouble, and it's gotten me in trouble. But I'm telling you, God doesn't like the pompous, arrogant pride of Donald Trump. Now, I thank God for his policies, and you can argue with me all day. I thank God for his policies, but not for his personality. And every man has faults, but his is open, and he's been given a lot, and he's going to be held accountable for a lot. But I got sick of hearing Donald Trump talk about what he did when the God of heaven was doing it, and on a public scale, rarely did he give glory to God. Most of the time, he was giving glory to himself. Again, I know you don't like it, but I'm telling you, this is the truth before God. And so this young man was tender in heart and humbled himself before God. You say, well, is that really important? Well, the apostle Paul thought it was. He said to the Ephesians, be tender hearted, kind to one another. Boy, that's just about left the church, hadn't it? Being tender hearted and kind toward one another. We're tender hearted and kind toward ourselves, but not toward others. You see, in the New Testament era, in the early church, the Bible says, look how they loved one another. I'm afraid if the world were to give a commentary on the church of Jesus today, they would say, look how they devour one another, backbite one another, how they kill their wounded, how they turn on one another, how easily they turned on one another and split up. Then they'll totally cut somebody off that's divorced. In other words, they did that in their own marriage, and then they do it openly and publicly for everybody to see in the church. What's the difference? All a church split is is a public divorce that's ugly and dirty. Everybody gets hurt. 
because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. And you, here it is again, you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes. God said, I saw it all. You wept. I saw your tears. And listen to this. I have also heard you. Son, I heard you. Daughter, I heard you. I saw your tears. I saw really you. You were so tender toward me. And I'm, I'm not talking about emotional. I'm talking about wanting to obey God. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in shalom, in peace, in wholeness. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and on its inhabitants. So they brought back the word to the king. And Josiah restored true worship in Jerusalem. And the scripture says that he read when he gathered everybody together, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which he had found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord openly and publicly to follow the Lord. Notice all capitals on all of these. He got personal with God because God had gotten personal with him. And to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes, look at this, with all of his heart and all of his soul. Oh, it would be wonderful. It would be wonderful if all of us would put our hand to the plow and not look back and serve God with all of our heart and soul as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.